number from Isaac, obviously, at the Matt Factory, and he was like, Cody's the man. Like, you're going to have a good time talking to him. It's kind of crazy, actually, that we've never talked before. Like, I don't think I've ever had an interview with you somehow. No. Well, I was only on the MMA scene not that long, you know, so in Pittsburgh, even short. Yeah. Yeah, man, you, your regional run, like that's actually definitely something that I wanted to start with was how fast your career developed. You know, you don't see many guys just start in Bellator. That's very rare. So your pro career rather started in Bellator, obviously, to just go from what you did as an amateur right into Bellator. I mean, was there any trepidation, anything on your part that was like, man, like, am I ready to just jump right into this? Because it's pretty amazing what you did. And obviously the results have spoken for themselves, but if you could just run me back to that pro debut, what was going through your head at that time? Was there any concern on your part that maybe it was too much too soon? Oh, uh, no, not, not, not at all. Actually. You know, I, I knew that like uh, my coaches, the people I surround myself with, would, would have, would have held me back if I wasn't ready, you know, but they believed in me and, and I believed in myself and it was the least nervous I've ever been actually for, for anything. That's a crazy statement. The least nervous I've ever been, and it's your Bellator Pro debut. Why am I not nervous? You know, I mean, I don't. I stopped getting nervous like towards the end of my wrestling career, and then when I started amateurs, obviously my first fight of my life, I was nervous. And, and uh, for whatever reason, since I've turned pro, I've not gotten nervous once. It's, it's pretty strange, but I like it. You know? no, no doubt, man. You obviously have a great team around you, man. I mean, you worked at the Matt Factory, now down at ATT a lot. Um, obviously, the last I saw, you were with first round. Are you still with first round? I mean, uh, that that's huge for any fighter, obviously, to have that kind of support system management and everything. What was it that made you know from the from the jump? Because you don't see many guys, you know, come out and have their shit together quite like you did right from the beginning. Like in that, I mean, being back by first round, being at the Matt Factory, and then down having the the presence of mind to be like, I need to go get some rounds at ATT, like really explore this highest level of MMA in the U S. Um, what was it about this sport that you knew right away? Like, this is my thing and I'm going, you know, balls of the wall for it. Uh, well, I mean, and this has kind of been my plan since I was pretty young, you know, when I was about 13 or 14, I decided I wanted to fight MMA, but I never trained MMA until I, until I graduated college in 2018. So, uh, it's been a long, a long time coming. <clears throat> I always kind of believe in this, this saying that you don't have to know how you're going to get there. You just have to know where you want to be, you know? So I've always had a plan or I've always had like a, a vision. Like I want to be where I'm at right now and further. And I've just let it take, take care of itself, you know? So I didn't actually plan to come to ATT or plan to sign with first round or any of these things. They all just kind of fell into my lap and happened as I've been going forward. And, and I plan to just keep rolling with that. Yeah. Where are you right now? Like where's home for you right now? I'm in Florida. I just got my first ever uh, my, a place of my own. I got an apartment out here uh, five minutes from the gym. So I just got like a little collage. I'm starting back there. I got uh, uh, Tommy Shelby. Uh, what's his name? Jack Nicholson. The Rat Pack up there. I got Pablo. I'm adding to it. I'm, I'm still adding stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty new. I just moved in in May. I like that, man. So you got the collage. You got the guitar. You've got the whiskey. Cody Law is a man of culture, ladies and gentlemen, as you can tell. Why is that so important to you, man? I, I love seeing guys that are into that, but it seems like fighters a lot of times get kind of laser focused in on their training and they're just fighters. You know, that's that's all they live and breathe. But it's clear that there's a lot of things in life that mean a lot to you. Like, when did you start developing that taste for just kind of expanding, you know, your mindset and expanding your interest? Um, I don't it was never a conscious decision. You know, it's just kind of my personality. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like, I don't really have too many hobbies like fighting is number one to me 
but like I like to play guitar and I like to like to the whiskey thing has come a long way you know like when I first started drinking whiskey it was uh it was more just like yeah I like whiskey but now now I'm starting to really learn like what I like you know and that's been fun um yeah man it's just my personality I haven't really put much effort into it just just the way I am that's awesome dude when did you start playing guitar man I started playing guitar maybe junior high we had like a little toy guitar and I back then we didn't even have a, a cell phone really so I had to sit on the computer maybe I didn't even sit on the computer I was just sounding it out I learned like twinkle twinkle little star yeah like on the computer looking up like how to play this song how to play this song and then I've just been playing ever since that's crazy man I started playing when I was probably 13 and it was yeah. very very similar you know um it was all tabs online you know I would just get online and get tabs for whatever I wanted to learn and then thankfully one of my best friends had been playing for a while and kind of taught me a lot of stuff right off the jump give me that kind of foundation and then from there you know you just learn the stuff you like so that's awesome man do you, do you mostly play acoustic stuff do you have an electric as well I actually have a John Mayer's John Mayer's Fender Strat. Ooh, about a years ago, whenever it was still in production, so it was cheaper. And now it's it's out of uh, out of production, so it's pretty expensive. My brother, little brother Tristan, actually makes music, so I let I lent it to him. Like basically, I left it in Pennsylvania for him to play. But I have a Martin acoustic here, uh, a D28, and it's almost all I play. You know, I actually don't know how to play. Like I don't know how to read music, but uh, I can play a shit ton of John Mayer songs, which is. <laughs> Really tough but i play it so much i can play those i just don't know how to read music that's great man i'm in the same boat like i never learned how to read music or anything like that just learned it either either by ear or by tabs and now it's youtube videos for anything you want to learn you know john mayer's sick though dude and having a fender because obviously he switched to prs now so having the fender you've got the original you know john mayer signature that that's really cool uh, the the sunburst one like it's it's amazing it sounds obviously unbelievable that's john sick greatest ever the dude can play, man. He gets a lot of flack because he's so kind of in the spotlight and kind of poppy. A lot of people think he's sold out, but I think anybody who plays music understands how good that guy really is, man. What's what's like your favorite John Mayer tune? Uh, it's impossible. It's impossible. It changes every day, but I mean, he's definitely not sold out. His newest album is like anti-mainstream. Like you probably won't even, you probably won't hear any of his songs on the radio because it's real. Uh, it's just, it's whatever he wants, you know. Yeah. He's a yeah. Oh, man he's the best he really is i think like neon like ne the guitar and neon can you play that play. you ever see him do it live at the where the light is yes i learned that entire thing man when i was in college at penn state i learned the whole thing like i was obsessed i can't play it anymore that's sick yeah i mean that that's a that's a completely sick riff to learn dude so the fact that you learned it at all though that but that you know, it's funny, man, to tie it back into everything else. I think it, it might sound silly. Like people are like, why are these guys just talking about guitar? But like people who know guitar will understand like the level of commitment that it would take to learn a song like that. Like it's difficult. It's there's a lot going on. It's complex. I think that speaks to your mindset overall. Like that's how you're approaching your MMA career. That's like you said about whiskey. Like originally I just liked whiskey, but now I'm really getting into the details and man, anybody who's gone down the rabbit hole whiskey knows how far that thing goes. Like, I don't even know if it ends, like you can just fall into that. <laughs> right now, are you drinking whiskey right now? I am. Yeah, dude. I got some bonded Evan Williams, some cheap stuff, but it's good. Yeah. Never had that one, but yeah. Um... Yeah, it's definitely a rabbit hole, bro. I can't. Uh, and, and once you get once you start, like you can't stop. You can't stop buying different bottles, even if you're not drinking. Like I'm not I'm starting to chill out. I'm not really drink too much in case they give me a fight. But 
I have like, I got some space on the, on the shelf back there and I want to like go and buy more and more just to add to it, you know? Yeah, man. One, one of my really good friends from high school, he lives actually in Pittsburgh now with me, uh, not doesn't live with me, but we both live in Pittsburgh and he's super, super into the whiskey bourbon game. Like he'll be driving to Ohio all the time to, to get stuff because Ohio gets a way better selection and he's trading for stuff and doing the whole thing, man. It, the rabbit hole is crazy, but I think it, like I said, I, I do think it speaks to something about people that are drawn to these things. So do you find any like parallels with MMA in terms of the way you obsess over, you know, learning maybe a new technique or learning something new in the gym? Do you find that obsession is just something that you've always had? Yeah, definitely. I've always been <clears throat> pretty obsessive. I just didn't realize it until recently. Now that I do interviews and people talk about this kind of stuff, I start to realize like I'm pretty but uh i'm like that with everything i'm even mad and you know once i start playing it like i want my team to be the best team in the world i can't <laughs> i will like make time to get an extra couple games in uh that's just how i am that's hilarious dude Did you get the new madden i've seen people freaking out about it he hates it i'm a ultimate team guy so i just buy madden for ultimate team and so yeah it's nothing it's nothing great there's a lot of bugs and glitches like just random shit where it they say the wrong things or, you know, things don't work, but I'm still playing it. You know, I've, I started, so I got to play it. No doubt. Are you a Steelers fan? Did you grow up a Steelers fan? Yeah, I actually grew up like a dual fan. I was a Steelers fan and the Cowboys fan. Oof. So I opposites, but it's always been nice whenever they would every once in a while play each other because I could like, I don't care who wins, you know, as a kid. But yeah, yeah. Dude, that's a crazy dude. How did that happen? Like what made you a fan of both? Uh, the Steelers were always our team. And then my, my dad was a Cowboys fan when I was young. So whenever, you know, how it is whenever you're young, you know, you just, you kind of adopt that kind of stuff. So I, I've always had the Cowboys. I had like blankets and stuff. Like I would get blankets as gifts and shit. So I started just liking them and I still like them today. You know, they're on hard knocks actually right now. I've been watching it. It's a great season so far. That's what I've heard, man. I haven't got to watch any of it yet, but how, how do you feel about the boys this year? Dude, I think they're going to be good. But, you know, every year they do this. Like, every year I'm like, they're going to be good. They make it to the divisional round and they lose. Mm-hmm. You know, Dak, he's healthy. Hopefully Zeke plays better and can go far, you know. It's tough. They're in the NFC and, and Tom Brady's the king. So, That's it. Uh, Brady. Yeah, that, that guy. That guy, he's like the, the cockroach that just won't die in the NFL. It's like wherever he goes. That's the season opener this year. The season opener is Tampa Bay versus Dallas at Tampa Bay, three and a half hours from me. I'm trying to go. Dude, you got to get there. Make it work, man. It's in like two or three weeks. I got to go. Yeah, yeah. That's that's one that you can't miss, dude. That's beautiful. Like, it's funny. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite live sporting moments of all time was actually Steelers-Cowboys. It would have been 2008, I want to say, because I was a freshman in college at, at Heinz Field, the pick six to kind of seal it for the Steelers. Ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculous game, man. Yeah. Yeah. Those are good games. Yeah. Every no five years they play, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, that's something that I don't know if your parents, like if you and your dad talked about it growing up, but I know me and my dad certainly did like the seventies rivalry just obviously hit different. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know too much about that, but I mean, I know about it, but I never talked about it. Yeah. I got you, man. So right now I think it's interesting because just for the listeners, like setting up this interview, Cody said something super interesting to me that I wanted to touch on. Um, We were setting up a time to talk. It's kind of late right now. Like, I don't know what time this is going to end up posting, but it's like past 8 p.m. on a weekday. And you said, like, you like to limit your screen time before you go to bed, which is like 
that's next level thinking that just ties back into like kind of how we started, how, how Cody has taken things extremely seriously from the jump that, and, and you mentioned, you know, I'm scaling back on my drinking. I'm not drinking as much bourbon in case there's a fight coming up. Screen time is a huge thing that I think most fighters would never consider. Like what put that on your radar and just your overall commitment to being healthy is just impressive to me. Yeah, man. Well, I wear a whoop strap, this thing I, I wear 24 seven and it gives me my all kinds of stuff, but it gives me a breakdown on my sleep every night. And, uh, <clears throat> it tells you how many disturbances you have and, and how say I'm in bed for 10 hours, but I only get eight hours and 20 minutes of sleep. Like that's not great, you know, and that's been happening a lot lately. So I've been trying to, I wear, these are blue light blocking glasses. That's, I don't really wear glasses, uh, very often, but I'm, I've been trying to find ways, obviously cutting out the alcohol itself, but I try to get off a screen, you know, maybe if, if I can an hour before bed, it doesn't always happen. You know, there's not too much to do yeah. aside from shit these days, but I try to get off screens, at least a cell phone, you know what I mean? Cause it's right in your face close to bedtime. Help me sleep better. Yeah. Was it the woot strap that kind of made you even think about it to begin with? Or was this something that like other fighters at ATT do as well? Or maybe they taught you? No, I started this about a year or so ago, maybe a year and a half, November 2019. So almost two years now. I uh, I got the whoop strap and it really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff, dude. Like what what drinking does. Like, you know, I figured out I figured out down to a T. Like if I have two drinks this many hours before bed, I'm good. My recovery's good. But if I have four drinks this close to bed, my recovery goes downhill. Or if I if I eat dairy, my recovery goes downhill. If I have gluten, my recovery, you know, all these different variables. And so over the past year and a half, almost two years, because of this, uh, I've been kind of monitoring and figuring out what, what works for me and what doesn't, you know, and uh, it's made a difference, makes a difference. That's super interesting, man, because you think about MMA, I feel like a lot of people think that you guys just get in the gym and train, you, you train your striking, you train your wrestling, you learn how to fight, you learn how to be a good fighter inside the cage, and then that's it. But as you've said, there's so much outside the cage to think about in terms of just living a healthy lifestyle. And I feel like, I mean, this is just an observation of mine, could be totally wrong, but you see guys on the regional circuit, especially, and you can tell right away the guys that are going to climb to that next level, the guys that are committing almost, you know, their entire life to the sport. What made yeah. you, what made you so comfortable in doing it? Because obviously the risk in doing that is if you don't make it now, you've just burnt, you know, five, six years of your life for what exactly. So at what point did you feel like, Hey man, this is my thing and I'm in. Um, day one, man, <laughs> this, there's no plan B. Like I, I knew this was the only thing I was going to do. I can't have a job. I don't like the way people talk to you whenever they're, they're, they're in charge of you. I had a job once in college at a beer distributor. Uh, in Johnstown and the owner kept talking down to me like I was like like a bitch you know and uh I know who I am as a person so you know I know when I'm when I'm wrong and stuff and I knew this guy was just just being a dickhead to me and finally one day I was like you know fuck you I'm out of here I quit and that was it I was like I can never have another job I knew I was going to be a fighter before that but like that's just a good example in my head where I know this is the kind of life I want to live nobody nobody tells me what to do and uh I don't know, man, when I say I'm going to do something, it, I, I do it. And so I just knew if this is, this is what I say I'm going to do, I'm going to make it happen. That's great, man. And it's funny because I was reading a little bit about you ahead of time just to make sure I was, you know, doing my due diligence with my research. It's funny, like your transition from Penn State to UPJ as well. From the article, I don't know how accurate the quote was or what any, anything, but what I was reading was you said, like, I wanted my own individual national title. That's why I went to UPJ was I wanted to be the man. I wanted to win that individual title. You felt like 
Penn State was going to win the team title, and that's great, but you wanted your own thing and went for it and obviously achieved that. Making that step, you know, that's kind of like a microcosm of your whole idea, everything you just said, right? Like that's I'm all in and I'm doing my thing and I'm going to achieve my things on my terms. What made yeah. you so confident then as a college kid? Because Penn State, everybody knows Penn State's the the king of wrestling. Like that's where you would want to be if you're from this area. What made you so confident? And I don't want to use the word selfish because I don't think it's selfish, but some people could perceive it as selfish of like, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't the situation isn't just like that, you know, it's, there was a lot going into it. And to be, to be completely fair and honest with you, it wasn't a confidence uh, decision where I was like, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go do my own thing. It was more like I was in a bad, kind of in a bad place. I wasn't succeeding at Penn state. Um, things weren't going my way. I was still, I still had some growing up to do probably too, but uh, I was just unhappy. And it was really tough. Cause I loved it there too. At the same time, I loved my teammates. I loved campus. I was living with my best friend. Um, so it was a tough decision. But ultimately, I was starting to not love the sport of wrestling. And the thought of going back to UPJ, which is five minutes from where I grew up, I could live at home again, be with my family, be around familiar faces. It just felt like the comfortable thing to do or the right thing to do. And, and so I did it not because I was confident I'm going to go there and be the best necessarily but it was just like this is what I feel like maybe I need to like love wrestling again and, and it worked because when I got there I was unfortunately ineligible but maybe that was even a blessing you know obviously I, I missed out on a season but I had some time to to chill out and just go to practice and live and classes were obviously a, a bit easier than Penn State Penn State's huge and uh everything just worked out so much better than man it turned out to be the best decision I ever made that's awesome, dude. I had an interview one time with Corey Anderson, the former UFC contender who's in Bellator now. I've seen Bellator's light heavyweight tournament. And he said something that at the time, it, it just stuck with me hard, man. He said, things don't always work out how you want to, but they work out how they should. And yeah. I thought I thought that was super interesting. And when I was reading about your career, I was like, that's that's how that felt to me. Like in, in an ideal setting, you know, you would go to Penn State and be this division one All-American four times over and the, the next wrestling superstar. But instead, yeah. you came back to UPJ and did your thing. And I assume is that when you started the Matt Factory connection as well? Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. Like my, my dream was Penn State national champion. You know, this is what I wanted. And, but probably my bigger dream, my long-term dream is UFC world champion or, or, or Bellator world champion or whatever I had written down when I was young was world champion, whatever, whatever organization, you know, um, and uh, transferring to UPJ kind of made that a reality because then I met Isaac who runs the math factory. And so then I had an in day one, as soon as I won my national championship, Isaac actually texted me and said, I'm going to let Bellator know like about you tonight, if that's cool. And it's funny because now I ended up in Bellator but, uh, but that's how I had the connection to even start MMA was through Isaac. That's freaking crazy, man. When did your MMA training actually start? Were you training when you were still in college? No, it's the, I literally started the week after I won nationals. So okay. I won Saturday night, and then I was in there that next week, whenever, Monday, Wednesday, whatever it was. I couldn't wait, man. I, all I want to do is, was learn how to fight. That's awesome, dude. It's, it's funny to watch high-level wrestlers transition to MMA because I saw, again, I don't know how accurate, you're, you're a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's funny because like it says you're a blue belt, but anybody who's watched your fights can tell that you grapple at a higher level than a blue belt. So it's like one of those things, but it's, uh, it always cracks me up to watch wrestlers transition and just kind of dominate regionally. What, what did you find though about MMA that was tricky at first? Obviously there's a whole lot more to it than just wrestling, but what for you was the hardest part to kind of adapt to? Um, the hardest part, I think maybe, maybe the, maybe distance, you know I mean? That's, that's not even something that you figure out even as you're many years in, but like learning the distance. Uh, I think when I first started, I was like, I was very, very like timid. Didn't want to get hit. Didn't, you know what I mean? It was very weird. And then as time progressed, I was too close. And then I realized, okay, I'm getting hit too much. Then I was too far away. And now I'm just finally settling into like, I'm right where I need to be. But that's a tricky thing. And it takes a long time. And obviously everything, the kicks, you know, the calf kicks, jujitsu is, is, is much different than wrestling. Um, and the number one thing was how violent it is. You know, I did, you watch it on TV and you see a leg kick land and you don't hear it. So it just, in your head, it doesn't process. It doesn't process that it's so violent until you're in there and then you realize like, these are very sharp, sharp shin bones, and this is very, very serious stuff, you know? I tell everybody. Yeah, yeah, man. I tell everybody it's funny. Like, you need to come to a regional MMA show. If you're, if you're an MMA fan, you know somebody who watches pay-per-views or whatever and loves the UFC or Bellator but has never actually been to a regional show, like, you literally owe it to yourself because – and the thing I always say is, like, the first time you hear a body kick land in person yeah. up close, you're going to realize how real that is. <laughs> like, it's a totally different game. Yeah, that'll change their mind. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And obviously, ATT, it's funny you mentioned, like, the low calf kicks because they're, like, leading the game in the low calf kick game. They, they revolutionized MMA striking right now. You know, it's the new trend. Um, how, how cool is it to know that you're at a place where not just do you have this level of training partners, but the fight IQ in that place is just out of this world? Yeah, dude, it's, it's crazy. I mean – I learned so much. I learned the calf kick lesson the hard way. You know, when I first got down there, I got my calf just brutalized. Pedro Munoz. I was mm. sparring with Pedro, and he beat the shit out of my calf so bad. Man, and I can't tell you how long it hurt me for. But uh, now I, I, I'm like, I spend so much time with Mike Brown working on checking calf kicks that I don't get calf kicked too much anymore. Uh, and I'm starting to throw calf kicks. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like we have stuff happening in that gym that the MMA world hasn't seen yet you know we always have like the first we always get dibs on the first new thing uh, and then everyone else catches up afterwards yeah dude it, it's absolutely nuts the talent level I was down there in probably 2018 I want to say and it's only gotten you know stronger since then yeah. obviously I wasn't training or anything I was down there doing interviews and stuff I'm staying away from you savages dude I want no, I want no part of that inside the cage but it's fun yeah. it's it's fun to see that the culture and everything there and just seeing the faces that walk through there on a daily basis. I mean, it's like, it's like Toys R Us of MMA fighters, you know, it's all the coolest, the coolest, latest things are everywhere. It's a, it's a incredible man. Like when you made the transition there, how long did it take or was there any period of, you know, starstruck, so to, so to speak until you felt like you were a part of the team? Uh, yeah, there was definitely a period of that, you know, uh, just because the reason I came down was I got asked to come help George Mazadal get ready for Usman. And, uh, of course, I was, like, shitting myself. You know, I've, been, I've spent, like, every night for the past how many years on the couch watching these guys fight. And now, next, like, literally two days later, I'm in a room with these guys. And then Mike Brown walks in the room, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Mike Brown, you know? And, like, because he was running things. And now it's – now, you know, I talk to Mike, like, on a daily basis. 
but at the time I was like, Oh, I can't believe that's Mike Brown, you know? And, uh, yeah, it was like that for a little while, but over time I, I, I became part of the team, you know, and now I just, I feel really comfortable here. For sure, man. What about it gave you the confidence to, to go down there in the first place? I mean, these are the things that I feel like have kind of become a theme of this chat that there's a lot of, there's a lot of places in life where a lot of people will kind of construct their own roadblocks and say, Oh, I couldn't do that. Like, Oh, I can't be a national champion. You're at Penn state. Things aren't going well. Oh, I guess I can't be a national champion. Like that was a, that was an option for you, but you took a different route and then became national champion. Obviously there were, there could have been a route where, Oh, I'm stuck up here. Like there's nothing more for me in MMA up here. I've exhausted, but no, like instead you went to ATT. Like what about it has, has caused you to always crave that next level? uh man I don't know I maybe I've failed so much you know in my life that I've gotten pretty good at just like rolling with it you know when something goes wrong I just keep going you know don't don't take no for an answer and like you you bringing this up right now is the first I really thought about it because it's just like a no-brainer like I just do whenever I got the call to go to Florida it was in the middle of quarantine I hadn't been training MMA because we weren't allowed to even leave our homes you know so they said and uh but it was like no no brainer like of course like this is an opportunity of a lifetime and i was like if i'm if i'm in shape and ready to go i'll find out when i get down there you know but i have to go and the very next day i had a flight and i was out there has just, it uh, this has this always been a theme with you kind of throughout your life that you just were never afraid of the moment like whatever it may be no when i was young man i was like this the opposite of this you know mm. coming up through wrestling i was like anti clutch you know every big match i got nervous and choked um, you know, I remember being a, a sophomore in high school and was beaten like the third ranked guy in the country at practice in the country, the whole country. I had not made it out of districts at this point. And I'm thinking like, Oh my God, I'm gonna be state champion this year. Like I, I'm beating the best guy, third best guy or whatever in the country. And then I get to regionals and I'm so nervous. My teeth are chatter and I don't even make it out of regionals. Just so nervous. You know, it was just like a constant theme for me. And it broke my heart so much that like I've, I found a way mentally, I guess, to, to overcome that and become the opposite of it. That's incredible, man. Do you know, like, when you started to kind of deconstruct that and, and turn the table, so to speak? Like, is there anything you can pinpoint that helped you get through that? Because obviously it's not who you are now. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's a lot of different things. Uh, one thing that really helped me was my, my club coach, John Stripmatter from Young Guns. He told me uh, after that sophomore defeat at regionals, that I need to wrestle 100 matches this offseason. And every offseason, if I could, through freestyle, Greco, folk style, whatever it was. And I did it. I wrestled 100 times, competed on, like, grand grand stages, you know. And it, and it helped with the nerves, you know, because I just was competing so much. It was like having multiple seasons, like three seasons in an offseason, basically is what I was getting. And then by the time I was a senior, I was, like, the big dog, you know. I was a returning runner-up, so I was more confident in myself. And that helped, you know, because I was supposed to be confident, so I was more confident. And then – at Penn State, same deal. I was kind of just like, not as not as much nervous as I wasn't willing to like let it fly. You know, I was always I was conserving. I was trying to protect myself from losing. You know, um, but I think through like a lot of visualization and meditation and affirmations, all that kind of stuff, really like doing mental training, has made a big difference to the point where now, like I've like I said, when I I'm going out for something even more intimidating than a wrestling match, you know, a fist fight in front of millions of people. And I have no nerves, you know, and I'm not trying to trick myself into not being nervous. I just don't have nerves. You know, it's it's, it's pretty cool. That's, yeah, it's pretty amazing, man. You've obviously had a stellar career to this point. I mean, amateur and pro undefeated 
it's been a pretty much flawless run at this point. You know, what's the next challenge ahead for you? I'm not saying like, do you have a fight schedule or anything like that, but like, what are you looking to prove moving forward? What, what are you looking at in your game that you feel like you want to show when this next fight does come to fruition? Uh, it's still my striking, you know? Uh, and obviously like, what's the next thing is better competition, you know, fight, fight better guys, fight guys that are the top, top ranked guys. Um, and I think whenever I do fight the better guys, I'm going to look better. You know, there's going to be more action. There's these early on guys are, they're a little unpredictable because you know what I mean? But when you fight better guys, they have set patterns that you're used to that you see in the gym every day from the other high level guys. I think it's going to make it, make me look better. Um, I really want to show off my defense and, and my boxing. Like when we're, when we're close and exchanging, I feel really, really confident that I'm going to, I'm going to impress a lot of people, head movement, uh, elusiveness, and, and all, all of my boxing skills. I'm excited. That's amazing, man. I love something you said there because it's something that I talked about at length before with uh, Cody Garbrandt, actually. He was, I don't know how much you know about Cody's background, but yeah. obviously, yeah. I mean, obviously he was a high level boxer before he ever got into MMA training with his uncle, Robert Meese forever. And yeah. he, he told me the same exact thing. He said, dude, honestly, like fights were harder for me as an amateur coming up because these people were so unpredictable. They were doing just wild things that you would never learn from a formal training. He's like, you throw me in front of Dominic Cruz. I feel very comfortable. I've been studying Dom forever. I know what he's going to do. He's doing professional MMA things, you know? So it's always funny to me to hear people say that. And now you just said it as well. So I think there is something to that, but Obviously, MMA is the great unpredictable sport, you know, like how do you put yourself in uncomfortable positions in the gym? Is it just a, a product of the guys you're training with or do you guys specifically train bad positions? Uh, no, man, I just just like we have so many bodies, so many different looks. Uh, and I don't know, man, it's just mentally for me, like I'm ready for everything. I think that no matter what unpredictable thing somebody does against me, if I'm in my, if I'm in my stance and I'm in a good position and I'm sharp and focused and I'm ready, it's not going to take me off guard. You know, I've seen, I've seen spinning hook kicks. I've seen calf kicks. Like I've seen flying knees. They can't, they can't fly. You know what I mean? So <laughs> there, there is a limit to how unpredictable you can be. And each day, each round, I see more and more things. And before you know it, eventually I'll have seen almost everything and, I, and I'll be ready to roll, you know, with the best guys in the world. That's awesome, dude. Uh, is is Jessica Aguilar's little juice bar, acai bar, still inside ATT? There is, yeah. There is like a juice coffee shop in there. I, I've never really gone in, but oh, that's sick. You need to. You definitely need to explore those acai bowls, man. They're they're tight. <laughs> acai bowls. <laughs> yeah, I miss them. That was like the the big thing when we were down there. Is like every time Jessica would take yeah. us in, she's like, "You guys need to get whatever you want." I'm like, "Hell yeah!" Like I'll take this up. I, I feel like it helped my immunity or something. You know that acai. There's something to it. <laughs> it, healthy like that is a big deal dude it is and I, I wanted to get into that with you for sure because you know you mentioned the blue light all, all these things you're doing like what is your diet like how, how clean do you eat on a regular basis uh yeah I mean after a fight I let loose a little bit and kind of enjoy myself because gotta keep your sanity but uh when I'm getting ready for a fight it's pretty strict no gluten no sugar no dairy I try to stay away from grains um Mega doses of vitamin C. That's my secret. I don't get ever get sick. I take way too much vitamin C. Um, you have to build. You have to build up a tolerance though, or else it's it's bad for your stomach, man. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I like to eat meat, eggs, fruit, nuts. You know, I'm not a huge vegetable guy, but I'll drink like a veggie juice. Uh, 
yeah, super clean, you know, good, good, clean supplements and whole foods. Yeah. It sounds somewhere in like the keto paleo range from what you're saying, something like that. It's paleo, but it's more, it's more high carb. It's definitely not keto. I tried keto years back and it was terrible for me. Mm-hmm. So sure. Like I have these grain free tortilla chips um, and it's like a hundred grams of carbs in the bag and I'll eat the entire bag in a sitting. Nice. So I eat a lot of carbs. Nice. That's good. Obviously you're burning them back off. It's not having any harmful effects on your performances or anything like that, but it's all, it's always interesting to me, man. It's like anything else. Like you talk about the low calf kicks or how you guys are developing, you know, new techniques at ATT. I feel like dieting nutrition is still on the brink too. Like we're still learning things about the human body. It seems like every day in terms of what's good for somebody or not. Yeah, dude. I feel like at least for me, like I feel like I spend more time outside the gym uh, working, you know, than inside the gym. Cause between diet and getting sunlight and getting to bed and doing all these different things, you know, it adds up, it makes yeah. a difference. Absolutely, dude. So when did, I gotta, I gotta turn the tables back to the bourbon discussion. Like when did that come into your life? Well, you said, you know, I kind of liked whiskey at first, but then I really started getting into it. Like what, what was the whiskey that changed your mind or blew your mind? And you were like, okay, I'm into this. The first good whiskey that I can remember, like, actually really liking because i had like some cheap whiskeys uh obviously when i was young i didn't drink in high school or anything but like once i got to college i i tasted whiskey for the first time uh maybe like 20 years old and uh but the first one 21 21 (laughs) yeah yeah you good good call (laughs) 21 I think it was when I was actually maybe 21 or 22, I had a bottle of Jameson Black Barrel. Mm, nice. And I really liked it, man. And then, again, though, it still took me years before I started realizing, like, oh, I like this stuff. Because I even tried, like, some some better stuff. I think uh, I bought my best friend, Zach Bites, a bottle of Redbreast 12-year for his wedding. And we kind of, like, saved it for every time we got together, we would drink it. But I still didn't know how good it was. I didn't realize. And then – Maybe then this past year, I've started to really, really realize, like I partnered with Axe and Sledge, if you're familiar with them, the supplement company, and those guys are like whiskey aficionados. They have a bookshelf of whiskey. I posted pictures of it. Yeah. That really like started to change my taste because I could go in there and just try four or five different ones anytime I went in. You know what I mean? Even just maybe even more because I pour a tiny sip, try it. Okay. I like that one. And I learned that I like scotch actually probably is my favorite but uh but that that really really changed me man nice dude and did, did i see that you signed with a company is it banana man yeah banana man whiskey i saw a bottle sitting over there they gave me a bunch of bottles and uh it's cool man they're like uh a new company based out at west palm beach and uh their whole vibe is wearing suits and drinking whiskey smoking cigars so it kind of fit fit with me too and, and they're really cool guys so it's uh, it's been good, man. I'm excited. What do they have that you're stoked on? Do they make kind of like a traditional rye bourbon? Like it what is, kind of? Yeah, the rye whiskey, but it's pretty light. Like it's 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 mellow. Like you can drink a bit more of it. It's not unflavored. It's not. Uh, it's just tr- plain rye whiskey. But I like it a lot, actually. It's pretty good. That's awesome, dude. So let's let's do the. You know, if somebody got you a bottle for your wedding what would you want it to be what's what's the top whiskey in cody law's tier right now my favorite my favorite i've had uh because obviously i can name some like crazy crazy shit i've never had but like right now my two favorite 
whiskeys that I've had would be the Lagavulin 16 year, which is a very smoky scotch. It's got a lot of peat in it. If you've ever had a peaty scotch. Yeah, absolutely. Tired, but I love it. Yeah. Yeah. 16 is amazing. And I had my Callan 18 as well. It's on the, it's a little bit, it's a lot different, but both of them are, I'm, I'm really liking them right now. That's awesome, dude. Have you ever had that scotch? I think it's called Octomore. Have you ever no. seen it? Okay. Keep an eye out for that because from what I hear, again, this is my buddy who's like crazy into whiskey. He was telling me about it one day. He said it's the like the peatiest scotch on earth. If you like peat, it is. Really? Yeah. Oct- Octomore. Yeah. I'm almost positive that's what it's called. I'll have to, I'll double check and text you to make sure that I'm correct, but I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I'll look for it, man. I've been on, I like to have scotch and, and Irish whiskey. I've been into a lot too lately. There's a, there's a new company called Method and Madness. Mm. Where? Their bottle's real cool looking. I really like that. I had that while I was home. That's sick, man. I never heard of it. And uh, does Jorge Masvidal obviously has his own – is it mezcal or tequila does he have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sick. Are yeah. you – is that in your – would you love in your future to do your own whiskey? Like, is that even on the radar? Dude, that'd be cool. Yeah, especially a scotch, you know? Yeah. Because it's not like – it's not even like a money grab. Like, it's something I actually really like. Uh, but right now I'm really happy – you know, being partnered with these guys at Banana Man, they're uh, they're cool people. You know, I'd like to see us both go far together. That's sick, dude. I love it, man. That's that's a good place for sure to wrap this up. Obviously, man, you've got a, one of the most, you know, promising young careers from somebody ever from the Pittsburgh region. So it's awesome to watch you do your thing, man. I'm, I'm Personally, you know, it's just cool to watch people go out and achieve their things. Like we said, you know, there's a lot of roadblocks for everybody along the way, but I've always respected the way that you've met these challenges head on. And instead of saying, oh, this is the one that breaks me, you've always said this is the one that I'm getting over and making a change to get past. So that, that's really cool to see, man. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what's next. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, too. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks, brother. And then uh, maybe if I'm in Florida or if you come back up to Pittsburgh, we'll snag some good whiskey together. Next time I'm in Pittsburgh, man, I'll, uh, I'll give you a text and we'll, we'll, I'll show you a real good one. There we go. For sure, brother. Let's do it. All right, man. All right, man. Thanks again. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, man. Talk to you soon. Yeah, brother. Later.